Well, it's an interesting observation that I learned from my time in the Central Valley, working with cattle farmers and uh, dairy farmers, cattle ranchers. They would share this amazing thing that would happen with cattle and how they would lose uh, their cattle. Um, one of the ways they would share with me is how they lost and they could maybe hop over the fence, go to the next place. That's where the phrase comes, the grass is greener on the other side. And the reason is because they eat the grass. And so they call it grazing. They graze a certain tuft of grass, a place of grass. They start to graze and graze and graze. And they lift their eyes, they gaze for the next area to start eating and start consuming the next thing. And then they continue to do that. And they graze and they graze to go to the next area. And they gaze and they look up and they have grazed themselves into lostness, is what these ranchers would say. They're grazing and they turn around and look back and the cows realize they're a little far from home. And I, as I'm starting to think about that, I, I wonder if that begins to be us at times. We graze on the next thing, whatever we can consume. Whatever that is, and you're like, well, we don't feed on grass. You're right, our feed is, is media. Our feed is social media feed. Our feed is a news feed. Our feed is what people are saying or what the hot topic is. We graze and we graze and we lift our gaze and we're far from home, from biblical truth. And I wonder if in our grazing and in our gazing, when we realize we're far from biblical truth, if we realize what we're actually losing. Maybe you're living today, breathing today, walking today, and you're saying, I feel like I am a little far from home, and maybe I'm just a little far from hope. The world that I'm living in, you're saying, whatever I'm seeing, whatever I'm noticing, whatever I am consuming, it feels like there's just this heavy weight of like we've been in the series of confusion, Babylon. Babylon defined as confusion. I feel like I'm living in a ton of confusion. Not only that, I feel like I'm losing because of the pressures of this world. I feel like maybe God is losing. I feel like God has lost. I feel like that I am lost. I feel like I have grazed myself into lostness. And I wonder if God has something for us. In these moments, in these problems, in these pains that we may be experiencing today. In the midst of our darkness, what is God doing? I shared a few weeks ago, no matter the problem, God has a plan and I have a purpose. What if there's something in this plan and in this purpose that God has something for us that could offer us the one thing that we have been hopefully grazing for? And we're not finding it on social media. We're not finding it in media. We're not finding it in the news. We're not finding it in the next hot topic. What if we find it in the word of God? And what if as we look to what he is speaking to us, we find out that no matter the problem, God does have a plan. And the best part about God's plan is it has a pattern and it has a promise. If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, God's promise is trustworthy. God's promise is trustworthy. His plan is good. His power is infinite. And his love is generous. God's, God's promise is trustworthy. You can trust it. You can take it to the bank, as we like to say. His plan is good. No matter what the plan is, whatever God is doing, it is for your good. That's what scripture would tell us time and time again. His power is infinite. There is no way that God is losing. Ever. Because his power is infinite. He doesn't run out. He doesn't need to take a nap. He doesn't need to slow down. He doesn't need to let the muscles begin to rest before he starts lifting weights the next day. No, God's power is infinite. And his love is generous. And you're thinking, well, well, I'm too far away from biblical truth. I'm too far from God. The pressures of this world, the things that I'm facing, I'm too far from it. And he says, no, my love is generous. You say, Marcus, you walk up here every single week and, and you talk about God and his word. How do you know it? It's because the truth is I know what it's like to feel far from biblical truth. And I know what it's like to consume God's word. And when I'm in his word, no matter what I'm seeing, no matter what is around me, no matter what I'm noticing in my own life, no matter what I'm seeing in the world, I can say God is doing something. I feel like for many of us today, 
we've been feeding from the wrong source. And I believe God has something for us today. So we've been in the series, Thriving in Babylon, we've been looking at a people who were literally taken away from their land. They were kept, held captive by the Babylonians. The Babylonians would isolate them from what they knew. They would indoctrinate them, tell them how to think, and then they would alter their identity by changing their names. We're saying, that's something that I feel like I'm experiencing in my life today. You may feel isolated. God has a plan for you. You may feel like just there's so many things from so many different areas that you're told the way to think or you're, you're told what to do and you're like, I don't even know how to make a decision anymore because I don't know how to make the right decision. It feels like I'm always making the wrong decision. And no matter what decision I make, you'll have 50% of everyone else being mad at the decision you made. God, what am I to do? But what if as we look at biblical truth, God has something for us? And in the world that we're living in, the one thing we all have been searching for is hope. And we've been trying to find hope from the wrong source. In fact, scripture would tell us that everything that has been written is written to teach us. How many of us want to learn something? Hopefully today we can learn something, right? I don't think the issue is that we don't want to learn. I feel like many of us want to learn. I feel many of us have difficulty with our willingness to be taught. Like, I would love learning things, but I mean, teach me something? I mean, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I'm willing to actually put that into practice or be challenged. So we're going to look at God's word because everything that is written is here to teach us. And look what it does. Look what it offers us. Because that from the endurance taught in the scriptures, how many of us need endurance in this stage in life? I need to be able to keep going when I feel like giving up. We need endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement. Who needs encouragement today? You're like, my hand is going up. A little calisthenics this morning, right? We need encouragement through what we're walking through. And for what purpose? That we might have hope. I need hope today. You may be walking in the midst of darkness. You may be walking in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of a broken relationship, or you're looking for a job, trying to figure out what to do with, this, with the final quarter of your life after retirement. You're, God, what do I need to do? What am I to do? And he says, I just want to offer you hope. And I want to define hope. Um, scripture offers us great revelation on how hope is defined and what it is. And if you know me, my brain is very simple. So I like to make things very simple. Um, Hope is the eyes of faith that allow us to see the promise. And it's the hands of faith that allow us to cling onto the promise, no matter what is happening. How many of us need some hope? The eyes and the hands. The eyes of faith for us to see the promise. And the hands of faith that allow us to cling on the promise, no matter what we are facing. What if we could have hope in Babylon? What if we could have hope in whatever we're experiencing right now? That's what we're going to be talking about today in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? Daniel chapter 7. Open your Bible halfway or if you're on your Bible app, uh, just you're halfway down as you're scrolling, you'll see Psalms and Proverbs. You want to keep going to the right. Uh, then you're going to get to Isaiah eventually, then Ezekiel, and then you'll get to Daniel. That's where we're going to be. Uh, if you see Hosea, you've gone a little too far. Uh, we're going to be right in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And what I love about Daniel chapter 7 is everything changes right here. Because Daniel, who, who writes this book that we're reading, Daniel is writing this, and the first six chapters are a historical record. Like, here's what happened, here, here's where I was, here's what God was doing, and then now we move into prophetic journal, a prophetic account. He's saying, here's the things that God was doing in me. Here's what God was speaking to me. Here's the dreams. Here's the visions. And for many of us, uh, we look at this portion of scripture, and we hear the word prophetic, and we're like, what does that even mean? 
And, and you may have heard people say uh, it's, it's prophecy is foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling of the future and forthtelling about things that are even happening now. Again, I'm very simple. I like things to be very simple. Uh, when it comes to prophecy, prophecy is supernatural wisdom made public. Prophecy is supernatural wisdom made public. And as we look at scripture, we actually look at the Bible, there's a quarter of all of the Bible is prophecy. And what I'm not going to do today is try to decode the prophetic. Because what the Bible is saying is what the Bible is saying. We don't need to add to it. So we're going to look at what God is saying in this moment and see how that applies to our life and what that means. And you may have heard of this, of this beautiful word. And I'm going to say the word and you're like, that's not a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word, apocalypse. <laughs> what? It's because we have the wrong definition. Because that word existed before our current definition and it had a different definition. The word apop- apocalypse originally meant revelation. The, the revealing of something. Now, if you look up the word apocalypse, we have made it to mean the end of the world. The book of Revelation, the original title was the Apocalypse of John. The revelation that God gave John. But we say, no, it's just apocalyptic. Apocalyptic times. Good. God's showing us something. It's a beautiful word. So we're going to look at a portion of apocalyptic literature for us to find something that I think all of us need. Hope. And in prophecy or in apocalyptic literature, you'll see a lot of imagery, a lot of poetry, and a lot of mystery. And sometimes we need to let the mystery be the mystery. And allow God to speak what he wants to speak. So that we might have, as the scripture said in Romans, hope. So I want to pray before we read that God would give us hope today. And if you're like me, you need hope. So God, we come to you. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our wondering and our questioning, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our weakness, we say, God, if there's one thing we need, it's you. And we need hope. But as we look at the world today, as we look at the pain, as we look at uh, what happened in Maine, as we look at even last night what happened here in San Diego, as we look at what is happening in the Middle East, as we look at what is happening all over the world, God, we need hope. People are hurting. People are suffering. People are in pain. We need hope. So Lord, we don't begin to predict what you are doing. We look to your word because you tell us what you're doing. So God, we ask today that you give us hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 7. Uh, What I love about this moment in Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 7 through 12 is all of this prophetic literature and it's not, it doesn't have a particular time frame. It's essentially just Daniel in Babylonian captivity or Medo-Persian captivity. He's just telling, here's what God is doing, here's what God was speaking to me. He says this, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, so this is after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel had a dream. I love how he just calls himself Daniel. Daniel had a dream. Marcus is preaching. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on the bed. And he wrote down the substance of his dream. If you're taking notes, sometimes when God speaks, he just wants you to write it down. Don't post it. Don't go tell anyone else. He says, I'm telling you something. Marcus is not for your next sermon. I just want you to write this down. Just write it down. And the reason why is because you're going to see why he wrote this down. Because... It gets a little wild. And imagine you telling your neighbor, hey, can I tell you about the dream I had last night? 
In my vision, I looked up and before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. What? Now, we have western eyes, so immediately when we see this, we're like, oh, the sea, it's like the beach. No, we should be thinking sea when we look at biblical literature. The sea is like this place of chaos, and it's essentially awaiting something evil to happen. Four great beasts, each, of different, from, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched, and its wings were torn off and lifted from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. What? You're like, I thought we were getting hope today. You are. Don't focus on the beasts. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up one on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told to get up and eat your fill of flesh. What? Our kids are learning this right now, actually, and they're drawing pictures. No, I'm just kidding. They're not. They're not. This, this sounds wild. This, this sounds wild, and it is. And if we focus on the beast, we miss it. We're living in a culture where we are consuming everything that we see. We're saying, look, there's a beast, there's a beast, there's a beast. Oh, this one's a beast too. You've missed it. I've missed it. And then I looked and before me was a third beast. It looked like a leopard. And on its back had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads and was given the authority to rule. What? Imagine telling this to your neighbor. I got to tell you this dream. No, you don't. I tell my neighbor, you go back inside and write that one down. <laughs> After that, in my vision, I looked up and before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth and crushed and devoured its victim and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts and it had ten horns. What? This is wild. All of this sounds insane, but it's still a God-given dream. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one. Now, if you haven't seen already what is happening, this is essentially, um, now, he, now God has given Daniel a dream that's similar to the dream that God had given Nebuchadnezzar about the four different kingdoms. But in Daniel's, he doesn't give it the interpretation of man. He says, I want you to see exactly what I am doing in the heavenlies. He says, so I'm going to give you great detail. And he says, and then I saw this little horn. Uh, this little horn is, you may have heard this term before, uh, the Antichrist. This is the one that will rise up and came from among them. And three of the first horns uprooted before it. And this horn had eyes like a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Because that's what will happen. And, and I'm telling you, don't focus on the beast. You're like, okay, this is not very hopeful. Well, this dream was about the kingdoms that would come and that would go. And that's, as I said, God's plan has a pattern and a promise. The pattern of God's plan is that the kingdoms of this world will rise and fall. And so many of us, we have our hope in the kingdoms of this world. And God is shouting from the mountaintops and saying, human power is temporary and with my permission. What? And we're like, no, well, I just need this person to be here and this has to be here and this has to be signed this way and this will be... And God says, oh, you know that power is temporary and given by me. And it has my permission. And so are you waiting for your king again? In a world where God says, I am your king, we cried out. The Israelites, as, as, as they were there, God's chosen people, they said, we want a king. And God said, I am your king. And then we said, give us a king like everyone else. And he said, your wish is my command. These kingdoms are going to rise and fall 
We had perfect relationship with God, but we chose something else. And we see this in our world today. We see kingdoms rise and empires rise and presidents rise and presidents fall and they, and they rise and then one replaces the other. And we go through this cycle every few years, every two years, local, every four years, and we're just like, oh no, what is going to happen? Oh no, it's going to be the worst thing ever. How is it always the worst thing ever? Every time. Are we realizing that we are being taught to graze and consume and consume? And oh man, this is the worst thing ever. No, it's not. I don't know about you, I haven't seen four beasts rise up out of the sea, one like a lion, one like a bear with ribs in its mouth. It's not the worst thing ever right now. Is it the best thing? No, of course not. Not yet. We're looking around the world, and God, why is this happening? And he's saying, I know you're confused, Marcus, but I'm not. Because I knew all of this. And Daniel, I showed it to you that the four great beasts, these are the empires, are going to come up out of the sea. And you're going to see these governments and these empires ride. And and you're thinking, "Uh, God, what is happening right now? And he's like, I told you. The pattern is kingdoms of this world will rise and they will fall. And because God knows this and he wants to share it with us, when I pray, I have to know that I'm not informing God. I'm allowing God to transform me. God, I'm not telling you the issue with the world. You know the issue with the world. He's not like, are you serious? That's what's going on over there? Oh, man. If only I had a son that I could give to the world that would go on a cross, offer his body as a living sacrifice that anyone who would believe in him would have life and then have peace. And so what... So God, when I pray peace in the Middle East, I'm saying your prince of peace, Jesus himself, reside over the entire world. That's what I'm praying. Could we get to that place? Like, God, the world is evil and it's in chaos. He says, I know. And you said you wanted a king. And I look at my own life and there's times I've said, God, I want a king. And he says, I am your king. I was like, well, God, I don't like how you're doing things right now. And I'm learning that whatever is consuming my mind is informing and controlling my thoughts. What's consuming your mind right now? What can you not get enough of? What is the result of all of the information you could ever imagine available in a second? I believe it's more chaos. I believe that once we fix our eyes on the chaos... Our thoughts are fixed on the chaos. But a scripture would tell me when I fix my eyes and my thoughts on Jesus, Jesus begins to fix my thoughts. And how many of us need our thoughts, our focus, whatever we're grazing on, whatever we're consuming to be fixed? In the midst of my chaos, that I could still stand firm. Four beasts. Yet. The end of verse 6 said Daniel prospered. What? What? He prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He served under four different kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, that's how it started. Then Nebuchadnezzar was overthrown and then Belshazzar came came in. That's still the Babylonian Empire. Then came King Darius, which now was the Medo-Persian Empire. And then came Cyrus, which is the Medo-Persian Empire. Four kings, two different empires, and he still prospered. What did Daniel get that Marcus doesn't get? What did Daniel get that we don't get? Well, you see, for him, his faith was not in presidents, politics, platforms, and positions. His faith was in the powerful presence of God. 
that could change everything in an instant. Daniel knew that God is in control of who's in control, like we've been saying all week. But when you look at what is happening in our world today, we need to ask the question, if you're taking notes, where is my faith? Where's my faith right now? What am I expecting? What am I hoping for? I explained it before. Hope was the eyes to see and acknowledge the promises of God and the hands to be able to cling on the promises of God no matter what happens. Where am I searching? Where is my faith? Where is my hope? And, and I was convicted this week preparing for this message and reading even the verses we read because I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many times I have thought that being created by God, living in a world that God had created, that someone created by God in this world that God created would have a better plan than the creator. God said, Marcus, how many times do you do that? And I was like, probably every day. I need to be thinking, if, if the creator can create, why would I think that he wouldn't be able to bring peace, to bring hope, to transform lives in a second? God can do it. And, and how do I get into that place? How do I look like Daniel? How do I thrive in Babylon like Daniel did? If I'm going to thrive in Babylon, uh, when we were naming this series, I wanted to name it uh, Blessed in the Mess. It didn't win. It didn't win. But how do I get blessed in the mess? I'm going to say it today. You can't stop me now. <laughs> how do I get blessed in the mess? First, I have to choose curiosity over confrontation. I believe many of us have noticed conflicts arise when assumptions are present. What if I begin to seek understanding rather than seeking to win an argument? Instead of shouting, God, what are you doing to me? I look at this world, what are you doing to me? I think, God, what are you working in me? God, what am I to do in this moment? Choose curiosity over confrontation. Listening to the voice of God more than the voices of others. What am I feeding on? What am I consuming and then looking for the next thing to consume so I can be told what to say in the next conversation that I have and I can regurgitate what someone else said? Well, you know, this is what's happening. You're like, I know where you got that information. Go to his word and listen to his voice. I love how Nikki Cruz, whose life was radically transformed, don't have time to go into how his life was radically transformed. His life was radically transformed by God. He asks this amazing question. He says, are you really listening to the voice of God or are you simply involved in the turmoil of life and distracted from him completely? Am I listening? What am I consuming? Am I consuming to try to find hope but I'm going to the wrong source? What if we listen to God's voice? And lastly, what if we allowed God to change our mind? I uh, just was able to be a part of a wedding a couple weeks ago. Um, Dan and Shala, they're in the room today, and they got baptized last week. Y'all are awesome. Um, and during the wedding, I shared with them five words that will help any relationship. Uh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Those five words can help you. And I've seen it in my own life. Uh, Last year, while Nikki was finishing her last year as a doctoral student, working to defend her, um, her dissertation, she came home earlier than me, and I was working late at the church. She cleaned the entire house. She washed the pets. She was preparing dinner. And she watered all the plants. 
I walk into the house, the house smells great. First thing I do when I go home is I give her a kiss and then I go wash my hands. Many of you know why, I'm just that guy, right? I need to wash my hands. I go into the restroom, I wash my hands, and as I'm finished washing my hands, I shout, why and what should have come after I said why, the only thing I should have said was, why don't I give you a massage? That's what you deserve. But here's what I said. Why is there no towel in the restroom? I could smell the laundry when I walked in. She was doing the laundry. Defending her dissertation in her doctoral program, and I'm just at work, you know? Why is there no towel in the restroom? All she said was, excuse me? <laughs> and I said, why don't I go get a towel for the restroom? <laughs> right? You know, we, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It gets worse. Always, always seems to get worse. I go into the kitchen, and she's making food. And I said, so what'd you make? She said, I made soup. I said, why didn't you make veggies? She put it down. She said, you make dinner now. And I said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm sorry I was wrong. And I, th I have to do that in my relationship with God because sometimes he changes my mind. God, I'm sorry I was wrong for talking about that person that way. God, I'm sorry for I, I was wrong when I thought that you weren't in control. God, I'm sorry I was wrong when I, when I projected onto you that I was focusing on the beast and you're not doing anything with the beast. I'm focused on the towel and I'm missing the fact that you're taking care of the entire world. You are, you've already cleaned the entire house. You've already taken care of the pets. You already have food on the table. Your word says you are preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. But God, you see what's happening right here? He says, Marcus, you're focusing on the beast. And many of us have allowed our eyes to focus on the beast. And there's many events that have come up in our world that we have just begun to focus on. Uh, we, we saw it happen when, when you see people meet for like different government forums, the World Economic Forum. And you're like, there's one world government. This is going to be the end of the end. When 1999, what is becoming the year 2000, we thought the computers were going to crash. We're like, everything is over. This is it. He's coming back. Everyone be ready. Left Behind movies came out. We thought everything was going to end, right? And this is what happens. We, we see the wars and we see the rumors of wars. We're like, God, this is the time. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, what you are experiencing right now is the beginning of labor pains when it comes to the end of the age. Where's the hope, Marcus? Don't focus on the beast. Because Jesus says, it's the beginning of labor pains, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back because I rule. Like he rules, but you know, he rules. That's where we can get stuck, focusing on the beast. And it allows us, it allows us to, our, to have our faith dictated by what the beast are doing and the pain that we're seeing. But if that's where the dream of Daniel ended, and I just right here said, all right, well, amen, hope you have a good week, we'd miss it. And I feel like this is where we are in culture. We stopped at Daniel 7, 1 through 8, and we missed the good stuff, as one of the men in our men's group says. We're getting to the good stuff now. Verse 9, as I looked... Thrones were set in place. 
if you're taking notes, if you, if you are okay writing in your Bible or you have a notepad or you have your phone, write down, where am I looking? Where am I looking? All of a sudden, Daniel saw all the sea and the heaven churning up the sea and the beasts are coming in. He's literally teleported into a courtroom. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Do you know who the Ancient of Days is? That's God. Why is he called the Ancient of Days? It was the Hebrew way of being able to say that he is outside and before time. He's the Ancient of Days. He took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. As I said, there's imagery, poetry, and sometimes mystery. This imagery we know. His, his clothing was white as snow. This shows his righteousness. The hair of his head was white like wool. This shows his wisdom. Scripture says that a gray, gray head or a gray beard is a crown of wisdom. I'm either getting older or wiser. I hope a little of both. His throne was flaming with fire. That means judgment. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. You still scared of the beast? There was fire coming from before God as he's seated on the throne. Rivers flying, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. And the books were opened. That is the most amazing line in all of scripture. The beasts are out there. God goes up to his seat. He takes a seat. He gets the book and he opens the book. And you're like, what is the book? I have to know what the book is. Uh, We're in a court setting. Think of court language. You ever heard the phrase that the judge threw the whole book at him? When someone throws the whole book, it literally means that they gave the highest sentence they possibly could. The book was opened. This is the good stuff. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. Who is the horn? Antichrist. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. Jesus wins every single time. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Here's how I like to think that went down. The beasts are destroyed, stripped from their authority, and Jesus goes, you watch me now. I run this place. You get to watch. You have no authority, but you get to watch. I'm the captain now. Verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked up, and there before me was one like a son of man. Who's a son of man? Jesus. Over 500 years before Jesus walked the earth. Coming at the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, all people of every language worshipped him. Daniel is writing this. Do you remember who wanted to be worshipped in Babylon? The king. Who did he call the entire world to come and look at this amazing statue and worship? No. All nations and all people of every language worshipped Jesus. I can't wait to hear that level of worship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Because as we learn, the pattern of the plan of God is the kingdoms of this world will rise and fall. But the true, amazing promise of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God will rise and never fall. And that's the celebration. So right now, we're we're kind of in this middle ground. We're like, okay, here we go. But what we just read was the end of human corruption and the celebration of God's kingdom. What a day that will be. His will rise and never fall, which is why we just read that he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. He literally is given the authority that Daniel said, but the beast had the authority. And Jesus goes, no, sorry, man. 
No, I have the glory. He has the weightiness. Just he walks into a room, you can feel the presence of God. I feel that every time we get to worship together. And he has sovereign power. No one is able to take it away from him. He doesn't have to ask permission. You can't do that. God's like, uh, <laughs> watch me. Everlasting dominion that will not pass away and will never be destroyed. And just like today, they've tried destroying the kingdom of God. And they tried 2,000 years ago. And Jesus had something to say then, and he has something to say now. In Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 26, this is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 26. This is after Malachi in the Old Testament. You be going to the right. If you get to Mark, you're a little too far. Matthew 26, starting at verse 57. This is the evening of Jesus' arrest. Before he reminds the enemy and all of his, all of his little minions who's in control. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. Do you feel like you're at a distance right now with God? Are you feeling like there's some distance between you and him? You're looking at the world, you're looking at the pain, you're looking at the issues of the world. I feel like I'm missing my Jesus. Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Peter, like you and I, is thinking, I wonder how the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gets out of this one. And we look at Peter like, why did he doubt? Church, why do we doubt? How's Jesus going to make this one work out? I don't know. I know he will. The chief priests, these are the instigators, and the whole Sanhedrin, this is probably at least 23 of the 70, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. Sounds just like Daniel. Pastor Book shared a message about that last week. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward, false witnesses, that declared, this fellow, I love how you call Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, a fellow. Are you kidding me? I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. No, this is why they're called false witnesses, because they distorted what God had said. Pay attention to that in our culture today. They distorted what, what Jesus had said in John when he said, if that temple is destroyed, I will rebuild it. Then the high priest stood up and said, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? It's just like in court of law today, the, the prisoner, the person is able to respond to the charges. But Jesus remained silent. One theologian calls this sovereign silence. The high priest said to him, I charge under oath by the living God to tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Jesus being Jesus, he says, you've said so. Jesus replied, but I say to you, church, this is over 2,000 years ago. But I say to you, church, this is over 2,000 years ago. But I say to you, how many years ago? Over 2,000 years ago. From now on. From now on. These eyes will not be troubled by the light. Okay, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's calling out Daniel chapter 7, what we just read. In fact, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 are the ones that are called out the most by New Testament authors. From now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Why do we still think God's not in control? Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, death they answered. Then they spit in his face, struck him with, this, with their fist, and others slapped him 
all fulfilling the prophecies that we see in scripture. Over 300 prophecies had to do with the life, the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ. All of them were fulfilled. We still have about a third of other prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. If he did it before, he'll do it again. And they said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And I believe when they asked that question, he just said, I already did prophesy. So after that, he's taken to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And he's put on a cross. This is after other courts. This is after beatings. This is after lashings. This is after carrying the cross. And then, and then people helping it carry the cross. And Jesus, the Savior of the world, is tortured in front of our eyes. On the cross, he's stabbed on his side, fulfilling prophecy. Blood and water come out. Proving that he's dead after he has said it is finished. He's taken down, he's placed into a tomb, and the stone is rolled over the tomb. Just like it was for Daniel in the, in the lion's den. The stone is rolled. Three women go to bring incense for his body as he's been dead. This is on that Sunday. And they go to the place, to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away. Because Jesus has resurrected and he walks around for 40 days showing who he truly is to hundreds of people. Everything I just said is historical account that you can find in scripture, but everything I literally just said is found in historical account apart from scripture. Then Jesus ascends into heaven and as he's ascending, he shares the plan. He says, I am the son of man, I am the son of God. All authority and power has been given to me. The pattern is the kingdoms of this world are going to rise and fall. The promise is that my kingdom will rise and never fall. But my kingdom is to grow. And my kingdom grows when my people go. This is the plan. And in this time that we live in, it will take a ton of courage to actually go into areas where we need to see God's kingdom. And we'll take a ton of compassion. One of my favorite quotes on compassion, because it can be a word that's kind of thrown around. The author says this, compassion does not demand that we know who is right and who is wrong. It could end right there and that'd be enough. But the author says, in fact, it does not ask for us to know anything at all about people except for the very fact that they are in need. Do I have the compassion that when I know that Jesus gave his life for me, that every other life that walks the earth, the eight billion people that walk the earth, deserve to know who Jesus is? The kingdoms of this world will rise and fall, but the kingdom of God will rise and never fall. And that kingdom is to expand, and it expands when we go. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, in Matthew he says this, he came to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. At that moment, the disciples, people around, who, who would have understood uh, the law and the prophets, they would have known, oh, okay, he's saying that he wins. He's saying Jesus wins. That the beasts have lost, Jesus wins. Essentially, the outcome of the game is predetermined. 
I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'd bet on Jesus. He wins. That's, That's how all of this ends. The enemy is shouting, the game is rigged. And God is shouting, it's not even a game. I didn't even sweat. You already lost. This is what he came to proclaim. Authority has been given to me, is what Jesus says. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded with you, commanded you, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. He's with us. Jesus proclaims universal authority, and he says, we have a universal mission. Go. He says, I am with you. Emmanuel, his very name. God with us. I'm with you. And you may have walked in today and you said, I've never felt what that feels like to have God with me. And maybe it's your first time here at Newbreak. I want you to know that we are a church who loves you, loves people, and we're a church who loves Jesus. And anyone that you see on this platform or out on the patio, we all have stories where we have focused on the wrong thing, we've done the wrong thing, when our life would be completely different if it weren't for Jesus. I myself should not be standing here today if it weren't for Jesus. I shouldn't breathe today if it weren't for Jesus. But he stepped in. And he showed himself to be Emmanuel, God with us. And if you're here today and you want to experience what it's like to have God with you in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your joy, in the midst of your sadness, I want to give us that opportunity today. So wherever you're at, would you just close your eyes for a moment just to kind of stop all the distractions. God, we know that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, for those of us that know you and are ready to go, Lord, teach us how to go. Remind us that we are sent ones. And for those of us that are here today who are, who are wondering what it's like to know what it means to have God with us. The fact that the reason that God you would send your son to die a brutal death on the cross. That he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The fact that Jesus was on the cross taking all of the pain and all of the pressure. All of, all of the evil that we have done in our own lives. God took it on his son. Jesus took it on himself. Because of that, we can find freedom and forgiveness. Because we all know too well that our wrongs do have a penalty. And Lord, because of Jesus, that penalty was placed on him. Now we get to experience relationship with you. So God, for those of us that haven't experienced Emmanuel, God with us, come into our hearts today. And if that's you, we just want to be praying with you. If you would just lift your hand, we just want to pray with you that we would begin to see what it means. I see you. To be God with us. I see you. I see you. God wants to be with you. He wants to heal you. So could we all just pray as a family? Remember, universal authority given to God. We have a universal mission. Could we all just proclaim boldly, God, we come before you, not knowing everything, But knowing one thing, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and we are called. So God, today, forgive us, remind us, and teach us that we are sent. In your name we pray.
Amen. Give God a hand because He rules and reigns. We did this at our worship night. Let this be the thing that you shout and proclaim. Daniel 4.26. Daniel 4.26. Daniel 4.26. He's talking to the king. Daniel is talking and he says, You will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. I speak that to us. We need to acknowledge that heaven rules. So on the count of three, we're just going to proclaim it. Heaven rules loudly. Are you ready? One, two, three. Heaven rules. One last time. One, two, three. Heaven rules. Amen. Give God a hand.